0: Richard Kuklinski was a serial killer, was a hitman for the mob, and uh, you're going to learn about him. And that's all the intro I have. It's Our Weird World. Our Weird World. Welcome to Our Weird World. I'm your host, John Henson, and, uh, you know, glad you're here. After, you know, last week's Black History Month extravaganza, um, good to good to see that you're not so offended and, and so angry and butthurt and guilty feeling because you're probably white that you decided you couldn't come back, and so uh, appreciate it, glad, glad you're here. Uh, this week we're getting back into uh, the, you know, the regular stuff, um, you know, just learning about... Terrible people from history. And uh, this one, uh, one of the most prolific uh, serial killers in American history, uh, Richard Kuklinski. Um, a, A lot of people, I don't know that a lot of people actually consider him a serial killer because... Uh, the majority of his killings were actually contract killings for the mob and so for some reason that kind of makes it different and I, I don't, I'm not entirely sure why but uh, yeah let's just uh, let's jump into his story right now. Richard Kuklinski was born on April 11th 1935, to Stanley and Anna Kuklinski, who uh, were coincidentally two of the worst parents ever. Uh, Stanley was an abusive alcoholic, and Anna was an abusive Catholic. Um, I, I, so, you know, usually you just hear about, you know, the, the husband being the abusive one, but really in this, inst- in this case, both the husband and wife were both incredibly abusive. Um, for example, Anna actually tried to uh, stab Stanley to death um you know you know i guess it's just one of those you know violently passionate marriages because i mean you know catholics they're they're ride or die they're not going to divorce you if you know if they can avoid it uh stanley's of abuse on the other hand typically involved him coming home drunk from the bar wrapping a belt around his fist and then just wailing on everybody um <clears throat> excuse me i'm just going to leave that in uh <laughs> richard actually got so scared of his father that he and just began wetting himself out of fear. and then he got beaten for wetting himself and accidentally, just, raked the windscreen of the mic with my nose. This is a good start to the episode. Anyway, uh, the, uh, the abuse from Stanley got so bad that Stanley actually beat Richard's brother Florian to death. Like, Stanley literally murdered one of his own children. Um, however, Stanley never got in trouble for this because the family was able to cover it up by claiming that Florian, you know, the clumsy little scamp, had just fallen down the stairs. Yeah. And, you know, I'm I'm guessing I've never fallen down the stairs and I, you know, I've never seen someone shortly after they've fallen down the stairs, but I'm guessing, you know, you fall down enough stairs the right way. it, It could look like you were also physically beaten. So, you know, whatever it worked out for them. Uh, Anna's weapon of choice was usually a broom handle, and she, she also believed that a preposterously strict religious upbringing went well with beating kids with, broom, with uh, broomsticks, um, and so the Kuklinski children, at least the ones that weren't murdered, uh, ended up spending their childhood raised in the Roman Catholic Church. And because Anna was such a devout Catholic, like I said, like she refused to consider divorcing Stanley, even, even after he began bringing other women home and having sex with them in the living room while Anna and the children were upstairs in their rooms and like awake and could hear it happening. Like, it's just crazy. Um, after Stanley and Anna had their fourth mistake child in 1944, because let's be honest, every kid those two had was just a gigantic mistake. Um, Stanley left the family in 1944 and began living with another woman that he was having an affair with. And in response, nine year old Richard began rounding up the stray cats in the neighborhood, tying their tails together, and then tossing them over a clothesline, you know, like you like you see like pairs of tennis shoes hanging over power lines. And he, he would just watch the cats claw each other to death, and he found this incredibly entertaining. Um, he also found stray dogs and doused them in gasoline and set them on fire. He would find other animals, you know, squirrels, rabbits, birds, and just beat them to death with pipes and hammers. Um, when Richard wasn't getting beaten by his parents or, or he wasn't torturing animals, he was getting beaten and bullied by the kids in school. And so with all of the violence going on in his life, Richard became intensely interested in cru- in true crime stories, um, which, you know. A red flag for me because I'm intensely interested in true crime stories. If you're listening to this, you're also probably extremely interested in true crime stories. What does that say about us? Eh, nothing. It's not a big deal. Don't worry about it. Uh, uh, Richard enjoyed the thought of violent criminals getting what they deserved, which uh, you know fit Richard's dreams pretty well, considering he spent his entire childhood getting beaten by his parents and every other kid in school. You know, he just he wanted. You know, he longed for the day that you know his bullies and his tormentors would get the justice that he felt they deserved. And that really plays into what he became as an older adult. Um, outside of his parents, Richard's biggest tormentor was a kid named Charlie Lane. And Charlie was the de facto leader of a gang of kids from the projects. And Charlie took great pride in making Richard's life miserable. Um, <clears throat> and all this happened in the New York City area, by the way. Um, in 1948, when, uh, when Richard was 13, he finally decided to fight back against Charlie. And that was a bad idea because Richard was almost beaten to death because of it. Um, But Richard was done just lying down and, and being a punching bag for these other bullies. And so when he recovered from, you know, that really severe beating, he grabbed a closet rod from his house and waited outside the entrance to the project complex that Charlie lived in. And when Charlie eventually arrived home, Richard leapt from his hiding place and blasted Charlie across the side of his head with the rod. And when Charlie hit the ground, Richard pounced on top of him and beat Charlie to death at 13 years old. And horrifying upon the realization of what he'd just done, Richard then used the knowledge he'd gained from reading true crime stories, and he stole a car, threw Charlie in the trunk, and then drove out to an isolated marshland in New Jersey. He knew from the stories that police could use fingerprints and dental records to identify a body, so Richard took a hammer and a hatchet to smash out Charlie's teeth and chop off his fingers. And then he dumped the body in the marsh and deposited the teeth and the fingers in another place, which is like crazy that a 13 year old kid had this sort of, you know, wherewithal to, you know, do this sort of thing. A few years later, Richard had completely changed his reputation. You know, he was no longer the pushover that he was as a kid. Instead, he was the leader of a gang called Coming Up Roses, which, you know, whatever kid gangs, dumb names. Um, They made their money robbing liquor stores, burglarizing wealthy homes and raiding, you know massive warehouses. Uh, A local mafia family, the DeCavalcante family, who actually uh, is what the Sopranos were based on, uh, heard about this gang and then offered them a job, which was a contract killing. Uh, Richard happily accepted. But the other four members of the gang were like, hey, all right, Richard, come on, we're doing good, you know, robbing liquor stores and, you know, burglarizing homes i don't think we should be killing nobody i don't know why they talk like that i I, I don't know that's that's a bad new york accent Um, richard though was like you know totally on board with it and i mean he immediately grabbed the gun walked up to the target and fired at the back of his head killing him instantly um the other gang members marveled at richard's cold-blooded murder and after returning to the crime boss each member was given 500 dollars, which you know probably should have all gone to Richard but you know he was a good guy he let his gang you know his gang friends have their money as well and and they all went on about it Um, Richard actually became a personal favorite of Carmine Genovese, the unofficial leader of the Cavalcante family. And by 1954, Richard had killed four more people, a police officer that he had burned alive, two members of coming up roses that Carmine ordered to be killed just because like he literally just killed two members of his own gang. And he also killed an annoying hobo that had gotten too deep into Richard's personal space. Like, you know, homeless people in New York, they'll get like right in your face. And Richard was just not having any of that. And he just killed him. Um but Richard, you know, Richard wasn't just spending all of his time killing people. In 1959 he actually got married to his girlfriend Linda uh, after, shortly after the two had had their first child together. And Richard, following in his father's footsteps, was adamant that Linda get an abortion and even punched her in the stomach when she refused to do so. Um and so because that didn't work, uh, Richard Jr was born and then the next year the two had another son named David. Uh, not surprisingly, that marriage went south real fast. And one night, Richard's brother called to tell Richard that he had seen Linda go into room sixteen of the Hudson Hotel with another man. Richard immediately drove over to the hotel, kicked down the door, and just beat the man senseless, broke as many of the dude's bones as he possibly could. And then I don't know, I don't know why this. I don't know why he had to do this. But then Richard uh, knocked Linda out, and he sliced her nipples off because. I mean, that's a reasonable thing to do when someone cheats on you, right? You know, I, probably not. You know, maybe you just maybe you just are like, hey, all right, this didn't work. We'll see you later. You know, you don't slice someone's nipples off. That's insane. Um, after that, Richard didn't see much of that family anymore. And, uh, you know, that's shocking, but it, it is what it is. Um, in 1961, Richard took a job at the Swift Line Trucking Company. And when he was there, he met Barbara Pedricci, uh, an 18-year-old learning how to be the company's, you know, sole accountant, which is nuts that an eight, like you got to go to college and, you know, to be a a bookkeeper and the sole accountant for a pretty big company, you know, you probably should be at least like late twenties, early thirties, if that, and even then that's probably a questionable decision, but this girl is just learning how to do all the books at age 18. Um, Richard first ran into Barbara uh, at the soda machine and he began flirting with her and Richard's boss who thought Barbara kind of reminded him of his own daughter warned Richard to stay away from her and Richard defiantly told him he would talk to whoever he wanted and in response he got fired for that but uh. But Richard, who was pretty good at killing people at that point, put the boss on his extensive list of people that he wanted to kill. And when he returned the next day to pick up his final paycheck, Barbara felt absolutely terrible that she how that was my finger that just popped. Um, <laughs> Barbara felt terrible that she had gotten Richard fired and asked if he would be interested in grabbing coffee when she got off work. And you know that played right into Richard's hands. And you know. After the two met for coffee, Richard forgot all about murdering his former boss and absolutely fell in love with Barbara. But Barbara was young. I mean, she was 18. Richard was, I don't even know at this point, 1961, uh, you know, almost 30 he was a few years older than her, um, and and Barbara was young. She wanted to date other boys, and when she told Richard that, he did not take that well, and I'm sure that's highly surprising to you. Um, and so as the two sat in Richard's car, he just kind of put his arm around Barbara for what she thought was just going to be some gentle cuddle time. Instead, she felt just the slightest prick in her neck, and... When she started to feel blood running down her back, she realized that Richard had actually just stabbed her with a knife, and understandably, Barbara lost her mind, and Richard responded by telling her that he would kill her entire family if she ever left him, and then he proceeded to beat her unconscious, and so uh, the two got married and had three kids, and that's not a joke. That's exactly what happened. It's insane. Um, so while Richard adjusted to being a family man again, he spent his free time working as a gang member and murdering more people. Um, by now he had severed ties with the DeCavalcanti family and actually begun working with the Gambinos and Roy DeMeo. Um, and his work there included staging robberies and making counterfeit copies of pornographic movies. I, I, why that's a huge industry in the 1960s mafia? I don't know. Uh, at one point, Demeo just pointed out a random person who was walking their dog along the street and Demeo ordered Richard to get out of the car and shoot him. you know, just probably thinking that Richard probably wouldn't do it, but Richard didn't hesitate and just immediately shot the man in the back of the head. Um, but Richard didn't just enjoy murdering people with guns. You know, he used knives, tire irons, explosives, poison, even his bare hands for just for the exercise. And that's literally what he said. He's just, sometimes he would just beat people to death with his bare hands just to get a good workout. Um, when the time came to dispose of the bodies, Richard often dumped them in oil drums, fed them to rats living in a nearby cave or placed them in cars and had them crushed in a junkyard. Uh he even became an expert at freezing his victims' faces to disguise their time of death, which earned him the nickname of the Iceman. Um Richard even claimed to know, side note here, he even claimed to know what happened to Jimmy Hoffa, who was the famed murder union leader that no one can ever seem to find. It's like one of the biggest mysteries in the country. Uh, Richard claimed that Hoffa was stuffed in a barrel and then set on fire for about an hour before being buried in a junkyard. Uh, He then claimed that the drum was dug up later, placed in the trunk of a car, and then the car was compacted into a four by two foot prism and shipped to Japan as scrap metal. Is it true? Who knows? Maybe. Maybe. No one can seem to find him, and that seems like as logical of a story as anything else. Um, by the 1980s, though, Richard was starting to get sloppy with his murders. Um, on December 27th, 1982, the body of Gary Smith was discovered under, the bed in the, uh, under, uh, under a bed in the York Motel in North Bergen, New Jersey. Uh, Richard had initially tried to poison Smith with cyanide, but when it took too long for Smith to die, Richard has had his associate, Daniel Deppner, strangle him with the lamp cord. Ugh, excuse me. Uh, when uh, Depner's ex wife failed to bring the getaway car so they could dump the body, they decided to cram it between the mattress and the box spring and get out. Now, look, as smart as Richard Kuklinski was, the fact that you would rely on your associate's ex wife to bring the getaway car for a guy that you just murdered seems really sloppy. Like, look, I'm on good terms with most of my exes. We'll say most. <laughs> I still wouldn't trust any of them to help me in a murder plot to bring me a getaway car. Like they're they're the last people I I pick. All right. Like I would I would get a cop to bring me a getaway car before I even like trusted an ex girlfriend to to help me out there. Like it just it's a it's a bad move. Um but with another problem here, Deppner was aware of Richard's murderous habits. And so it made sense that Deppner wouldn't last much longer either. Um, and coincidentally, Deppner's body was found five months later by a cyclist in a wooded area near West Milford. Uh, the body Deppner's body had been put inside a green garbage bag and a vulture had actually pried it open and begun scavenging the remains. So again, like he's getting really sloppy here rather than burying it. He just tosses it in a bag and now wildlife is opening the bag and scavenging it. Um, on December 25th, or not September 25th, not December, September 25th, 1983, Louis Masgay was found near a town park in Orangetown, New York with a bullet hole in his head. And although the body had been stored in an industrial freezer for two years, Richard hadn't completely thought it out before he had attempted to dump it. And this allowed the medical examiner to start putting the pieces together. So along with Gary Smith, um, uh, Deppner, and uh and Mazgay two other men were last reported as being seen with Richard and all that evidence that was just all the bureau of alcohol tobacco and firearms needed to launch a manhunt on Richard you know so these five people they disappeared their last reported sighting was with Richard and at that point they kind of put the pieces together it's pretty obvious that Richard had killed them all so Special Agent Dominic Polifrone, Polifrone, Polifron, Dominic Polifrone. It's it, like these are the most Italian names ever. Special Agent Dominic Polifrone began working with Phil Solomine, a close friend of Richards, and Dominic finally was able to get close enough to Richard to where he was able to ask him to uh, to see if he could hire Richard for a hit. Uh, he recorded Richard talking about how he would use cyanide to carry out the contract. And then finally, Dominic arranged to meet Richard on December 17th, 1986, to give him the dose of cyanide that he needed to carry out the hit. That day, Richard took the cyanide and walked off by himself. And, you know, as he normally did, he tested the cyanide on a stray dog to see how strong it was. But when the dog didn't die, Richard decided to back out of the hit and go home. Like, you know, his his spidey senses were up. This felt weird. So he's like, I'm going to just back out and I'm going to go home unfortunately he was stopped at a roadblock um that you know the atf had set up for him and he was arrested um in march 1988 richard was finally convicted of five counts of murder and given consecutive life sentences and he died in prison on march 5th 2006 So there you go, Richard Kuklinski, uh, mafia hitman extraordinaire, um, just generally terrible person. I, you know, like abusive husband. Um, grew up with a tough life, but you know doesn't doesn't make doesn't excuse it. Just a terrible human being. And so, other than that, let's see what we learned today. <laughs> What did we learn? Number one, uh, apparently you can beat a child to death and then claim it fell down the stairs. And it I guess it looks close enough that people probably aren't going to question you about it. Uh, Number two, please do not tie cat's tails together and then throw them over a clothesline and then watch them claw each other to death. That's just mean. Uh, And number three, even though we didn't really cover this... um, Uh, Richard actually claimed, uh, even though he was only charged with five murders, he actually claimed to have killed uh, anywhere between 100 to 250 people. Um, Unfortunately, he died in 2006 in prison, and so um, we'll probably never know how many people he actually ended up killing. (laughs) next week on our weird world. Uh, it is not, it's going to be one of those really bad episodes. Uh, it is the story of Fred West and his terrible wife, Rosemary, who were just probably the worst parents of all time. Like, like you think Richard Kuklinski's parents were bad. The Wests are like, I, they may be the worst, like combined, like, There are going to be some stories later where like one parent was pretty awful, but you know, like, dude, the tag team that this, these parents did was awful. And we're unfortunately going to learn about it next week. So get ready for that. Thank you for listening. Keep telling all your friends and keep it weird.